Ahoy, it's your boy, and today is Sunday, January 14th, and time has gone by very, very fast, meaning school ended about a month ago, and although I do feel like uh, I've lived quite a few lives in between now and then, and in another sense, it's gone by very, very fast. And the reason I was thinking about this is because I actually booked my plane ticket to Taipei, and I leave in mid-February, and that's pretty much a month away too. And so it just sort of helps me contextualize. Although that feels pretty far off, I you know you sort of have to prepare mentally because that's going to come faster than you think it will. And you know, I'm kind of in a weird spot because I'm sort of I'm concurrently trying to plan for two things. One is this uh, three and a half months in Taiwan, and then the other thing is excuse me, <clears throat> the other thing is actually next fall would be going to school in China. But um, the applications um, are. Well, it's actually kind of a weird thing. They're not technically due at the end of this month, but there are phases of applications. And if you want to be eligible for certain scholarships, you have to get your applications in at a certain time. So I'm kind of needing to get those in very quickly. And uh, I think I, uh, you know, it's it's kind of hard to determine. I Because I, I sort of did two things. One, they say that they're due on like the 31st, but that's China time. So you basically... It's not quite 24 hours. It's probably like 14 hours ahead or something like that. Which is actually kind of funny. I was thinking about this. Did you know that China, the entire country of China, just puts itself in a single time zone? So it's like, I haven't done the math on this, but it's like if you live in Beijing all the way on the east coast of China, and you live uh, kind of on the border of Tibet all the way on the west side of China, it's the same time. But really, there's like many hours, like... Is it, it's like, does that mean that the sun rises at noon, like in Western China or something like that? I have to think about this more. This is also one of these simple things that a simple Google search might um, actually uh, convey more nuance, but this is something that was communicated to me conversationally, and uh, I don't know why I was thinking about that uh, this week. But um, yeah, I was talking about my application, so those are kind of due at the end of the month. And I reached out to two people for a letter of recommendation, which is what the application requires. And uh, I don't know why I'm worried about it, but I have yet, well, I heard I was in communication with one of them, and then all of a sudden our communication sort of stopped, and um, I sent another follow-up and haven't heard from them. And then the other person I haven't heard anything back from. And this is somebody that I've had multiple conversations. I mean, this is, you know, one of the professors I spent umpteen office hours with. We were very close. I took multiple classes with them. So there's no conceivable reason why they wouldn't. Uh, I mean, they even we even had an explicit conversation about them providing me a letter of recommendation for grad school. And yet I haven't heard back from them. So the, I mean, the obvious answer seems to be uh, we're sort of in this sort of liminal phase between two semesters uh, or something catastrophic has happened to them, which um, I don't say that lightly, or maybe I'm saying it lightly. I don't mean it lightly. I just mean that it's very unlikely for that to be the case. Um, but, uh, you know, the deadline is not too far off. Oh, and also I did that thing. I don't know if this is good or bad. But even though the application is due on the 31st, I sort of communicated to these people that uh, the deadline for me <laughs> was the 26th, meaning I was requesting that I get it in a little bit early just so I can have all my ducks in a row and uh, have a couple of days to, you know, just kind of, double check things, make sure I have everything I need. And also, um, applying for uh, school in China is very different than applying in the States, which is I've, you know, in my former job, I wrote many letters of recommendation for people. 
And every single, I was never, I don't, I can't remember a time, unless it was something fairly informal, like uh, um, maybe another volunteer opportunity or uh, something like that, uh, a job or something like that. Um, uh, but for, for school especially, you're not allowed to submit, or how do I say this? I'm not allowed to give the letter of recommendation to the individual. I have to go through some special portal where I sort of either copy paste what I've already written or type directly into it where, um, you know, the applicant is sort of circumvented so they can't edit it or whatever the case may be. In China, they don't need that. I basically upload my own PDFs, you know, so... On the one hand, that's good because I get the letter of recommendations directly to me. And, you know, with their permission, I can also repurpose them uh, for other things. Um, but yeah, I'm just kind of in that place. Or actually, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. And this actually, I wasn't, yeah. So there's a couple things that are coming to mind. This last week, and maybe even the week before that, um, Maybe I should say just shortly after uh, I sort of last broadcasted my, communi- my my last communication. I've been feeling really good. And uh, part of that is I think um, I've just used my time. Yeah, I, I should say, you know, I'm the type of person, I've talked about this before, like when I'm in school, I'm uh, pulling whatever hair I have left out of my head because I just can't wait to get out of school. And yet, uh, while maybe the initial week of downtime once the semester ends is very enjoyable, I very quickly get itchy and uh, don't do well without structure. And, um, you know, it's not like my quality of life unravels at that point, but I just get bored. And, um, you know, I don't know how many of these types of experiences I need to have to to sort of uh, understand this, but I really thrive in structure. And so, you know, having a couple deadlines or things that I need to attend to um, in a good amount of time, uh, you know, has kind of given me the structure that I needed. So uh, making sure I get things prepared for my time in Taiwan, getting my materials together uh, for my grad school applications in China. And also I mentioned this TEFL, teaching English as a foreign language certification that I've been chipping away at, which I actually finished. Um so, you know, it's supposed to be about 120 hours of training, and I'm not sure that's exactly how much time I put into it. I probably finished it a, a bit quicker than that, but I finished that in, in uh, I'm sorry, <sighs> I finished that in fairly short order. So I've been doing good. And I think the other thing, you know, I I, I was sort of talking about this in therapy, but one of the feelings that I've actually been experiencing more recently is, I, I, I don't know why I hesitate saying it, cause maybe because it feels a little self-helpy or whatever, but um, I've been feeling a lot of gratitude. And, you know, part of that is I think, well, how do I... I I know I'm stumbling over my words today. I think partly it's because uh, I think some of what I've been thinking and and feeling feels a little bit, yeah, a little bit gushy or whatever. And so I see myself kind of going down this road, and I'm I'm sort of embarrassed to talk about it. But but I'm gonna lean into it, and we'll just sort of we'll just sort of talk about what comes to mind. But I've been feeling very grateful. Um, I don't know that it's re- I've really let it sink in that I actually graduated school. I mean, even as I say it, I I, I realize that that. Since the end of the semester, that's not really a thought that's entered my head very frequently. And maybe part of that is because I, I'm. this is sort of how I do things. I immediately look for something else to focus on and 
start sprinting in that direction. And I kind of, you know, cheat myself out of the opportunity of feeling a sense of accomplishment. But the truth is that, you know, I just finished, you know, a road that I started on four and a half years ago. Now, it's a little bit more than, you know, undergraduate career is normally four years. It's an extra semester for me because um, I had a double major. So I was given extra, I was given an, an additional semester to fulfill those requirements. But, and actually, even as I say it, it's more than four years. This is a, you know, I'd have to crunch the numbers, but this is like a 16 year process for me. I mean, I originally, um, you know, I graduated halfway through my junior year, not because I'm brilliant. <laughs> I mean, I am brilliant, but not because I'm brilliant, uh, but because I went to a bullshit high school uh, or I eventually transferred to a bullshit high school where, the, you know, you sit in front of a computer for four hours a day and, um, you know, basically do nothing. So, yeah, I just sort of uh, finished that work very quickly, graduated halfway through my junior year when I was like 17 and uh, drove around the country for a couple months that summer and uh, came back and went to a junior college studying music and you know, despite a good first semester where I got, I think I got straight A's and maybe a second semester where I got straight A's, <clears throat> you know, I was also had just moved out and was living on my own. And, uh, you know, my health, mental health was not good and uh, was would not be good at all. It was actually very unmanageable for about maybe three, three and a half years or something, three and a half, four years about there. And, um, you know, kind of languished at a junior college studying music. And, and, and I look back on that and I had so many formative experiences, you know, and things that were very important and would be very important for the rest of my life, things I still continue to draw on in terms of, you know, that musical education that I got, even though my grades weren't exceptional, was just very formative for me. And in a way, I kind of approached it the way I would approach a lot of things in my life for the next, you know, 15 or 16 years. <clears throat> which was even though I knew what I was tasked with, you know, I, I would have these homework assignments. You know, it's not, although I did a fair amount of like movie watching and just kind of chain smoking cigarettes and, and feeling like I was wasting time, you know, that was also a very spongy period in my life where I was just soaking up a lot of influences and, uh, you know, having the types of creative encounters or I don't know if that's quite the word for it, but maybe reading the books or watching the movies or you know, the types of experiences that even in my adult life, I realize are things that were not only foundational, but um, I continue to draw on and, 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 you know, were just very meaningful for me. And although I was not doing a lot of the homework I was assigned, I would still like go to the, I, I was going to a junior college in Tucson, but I would go to the University of Arizona. Uh, I would go to their music library just about every day for hours and listen to music and read books and take things out. And, um, I would like check out scores and like go to Kinko's and like make copies for myself. And I had this like library of like photocopied scores and stuff. And, uh, you know, so the, the, although I was not necessarily getting the education that they were setting in front of me, I was getting this whole other type of education. Um, and, uh, you know, and in a way that was, I, I remember kind of this way when I, when I was in high school and I went to a boarding school, you know, my grades were serviceable. But I remember just spending hours in my room, just like reading books and things that were outside the curriculum and not really attending to the homework that I had to do, but doing things that just sort of interested me. And at that time, I just was so tortured thinking I was like wasting my time. And, um, 
you know, in hindsight, just kind of knowing how things played out, you know, I'm not really sure I would have changed things. You know, I think uh, sometimes there's a way in which we we know kind of what we need. And, uh, you know, I just wish, you know, it's funny for me when I, and I, I'm not necessarily saying that this is my mentality, but you do hear about the kind of Steve Jobs or the Bill Gates or whatever, or the, the people who just, they kind of, at least what they report is kind of knowing in their gut that um, what was being sort of fed to them in terms of their, quote, education, which is entirely besides the point in a certain sense, and that they had uh, a mission, and they just sort of focused on that. Now, uh, imagine that, but without the mission. You know, what it felt like for me is I was just sort of... Uh, um, I was going to say just sort of dog paddling in the deep end of some great mystery that I didn't understand, but it's just what I felt called and comfortable doing. It's just what I did. It was just my natural disposition. And I spent so much of my early life just sort of berating myself and telling myself that that was evidence of just something profoundly wrong with me, that I was somehow able, you know, I, I just, you know, despite what I felt like I wanted, which was to like be able to wake up every day and go to school and just sort of function like a quote normal human being. I was spending all my time absorbed in this, you know, what I would have called minutia or a distraction or things that were like keeping me off task. And um, I don't want to dismiss that entirely because I think that there's, especially as an adult, I think when you realize there's actually enough time for everything, you know, in hindsight, I could have certainly, I, you know, and I, I, well, I mean, I'm a smart dude. I'm pretty intelligent in certain uh, in certain ways, you know, maybe not in all ways, but you know, school is something that actually I'm I'm pretty good at, and there was certainly enough time in the day to, you know, even give a cursory glance or just a good enough job to my homework, and uh, I could have done those things and still had all the time in the world that I needed for all the things that I was enjoying doing. But I, I didn't do that. And um, as I find myself in the middle of this story, I'm wondering how the hell we got here and why I'm talking about it. Um, maybe just to say that, you know, yeah, so that was a period of my life. And um, yeah, so finished. Yeah, I just sort of languished at a junior college for like three and a half years, ended up moving to California. And two years later, I had this sort of blip on the radar where I sort of made a brief attempt to sort of return to school. And I went, and this is how, I just look back on this and I realize how stupid I am. I was living in Berkeley, literally two blocks from what is Berkeley City College, which is a junior college in, in, in Berkeley, California. And I have no fucking idea why, but I registered for a semester of classes at Diablo Valley College out in Concord or Walnut Creek or some, it's basically like a, in traffic, it's like a 30 to 45 minute drive. Like you have to go through the Caldecott tunnel and like, why the fuck I did that? I don't know. It's because I, I literally didn't have it in me to do any cursory research about what to do. I, 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 maybe I worked with someone who went there or I don't fucking know what I was thinking, but I basically had an aborted semester of classes there where I just stopped going like maybe like four weeks before the end of the semester. I look back on my transcripts. I did fail one of my classes. How I got like a D in one class and a C in another. And I took this class, Primate Adaptation and Evolution. I got an A in that class. How that happened, I have no fucking idea. The only thing I remember of that class is for like the first three weeks, we had this like sensible 
professor. And I think something happened to them. I think they had a, a, a death in the family or some, you know, something was not good with them. They basically had to step away for the semester. And that person was replaced, I say this uh, kind of comically, but it's just observably true, with a woman who was legitimately, like, n mentally ill and was, I don't know if they were in some kind of manic, psychotic episode or something like that. But this woman would just come to class every day and just talk at us. And it was just like word salad and often nonsensical. And I just remember this. The only thing I remember really is this moment where she said something, maybe something related to the textbook. And someone in the class raised their hand and just sort of contradicted them and said, like, that's I don't think that that's true. And we all had to like turn to our textbook and like look at it. And we, we saw that the teacher was not right. And the teacher just sort of it's just one of these absurd things that adults do sometimes that as a kid don't make a lot of sense. But as an adult, you look back and it's all the evidence you need that adults, many of them are, are dumb or, or I'll put it this way. That's too misanthropic. It, there's just nothing about adulthood that guarantees that somebody has their shit together. And the teacher legitimately tried to convince us that they knew that it was wrong and said it on purpose to test us. And she made some type of platitudinous like, proclamation it's like you know that's why you shouldn't believe everything that you're told and if you do you're a sheep or something like that and it was just one of these absurd moments where I just didn't know what was going on and so I don't know if maybe they did the, the school just like gave everybody an A in that class or what was going on but really the only reason I'm even like barking up the street or, or talking about all this stuff is you know the fact that I finished you know I got my bachelor's degree is uh you know you know, it's 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 been a long time coming, and uh, it's not really something that I. Yeah, it's not it's not something I give myself a lot of time to think about. Um, but yeah, yeah, even saying it feels a little bit weird. I think in some way too, there's some embarrassment that is sort of accompanies that. Uh, you know, although it's nice to say that I sort of got my degree. At the end of the day, uh, there's there's still a big part of me that feels like I should have gotten it a long time ago. Um. But, you know, in another way, too, I mean, coming back to my education as an adult, you know, I'm also a completely different person. I mean, one thing I still haven't really figured out, and I'll have to sort of, I don't know, uh, one day I'll have to sort of figure out the math, is I languished at a junior college for three and a half years, but I still passed, you know, the, the, the all of my classes. I mean, there was a couple that I sort of withdrew from. I don't think I got any Fs during that period or failed any classes. And yet when I returned to school, I still spent two hours, or it's not two hours, I spent two two years at a junior college just getting, before I was able to transfer, you know, and, and, and I still saw that a lot of those, you know, a fair amount of these sort of general education, you know, maybe not the music stuff that I took, which was the vast majority of my classes, you know, some of those general edu education stuff like English and, and writing and all that sort of stuff like transferred over. So why I still spent two years at a junior college, I don't know. But every, you know, that's just the way it's sort of that's the words. That's the way it sort of um, uh, played out, um, and yeah, and then spending two and a half years, uh, um, five semesters at Berkeley. Um, you know, I was just a much better student. I mean, but for one B plus that I got in my fourth semester of Mandarin, your boy got straight A's. And what do I? I don't know. I guess I tell myself that if you know the fact that I'm able to do it, the, the fact that I'm able to do it today. While I was working full time, which I, I think uh, says a lot about me too, 
Um, except for the last semester, I suppose. But um, because I was able to do it now, I guess I just sort of assumed that I should have always been able to do that, or I always had that in me. And maybe on some level I did. I mean, if, I, if my mental health or my life circumstances were such that I maybe wasn't inhibited or impeded in the way that I was, you know, maybe I could have gotten uh, straight A's when I was younger. But that's not the way it happened. And... Um, and yeah, I, I think I may have mentioned this last time too, or semi-recently, which is, you know, there's something unique about my experience, like being an undergraduate student as an adult as well, because it sort of has gotten me, you know, I was able to spend time with like young people and, uh, you know, it's not something I'd be eager to re return to or, um, you know, not that I won't be around younger people. Um, one, when I go to Taiwan, I mean, my language study. Inevitably, most of the people who go to Taiwan to study uh, Mandarin are younger college-age students. There, I expect that there will be a couple of adults, but I can probably look forward to the spending the next three and a half months in class with younger people. I can almost certainly expect to be around, uh, maybe the mean age will sort of go up, but generally younger people than me when I'm in graduate school. Um, but that was an interesting experience and, and not something that I think most people get, which is, uh, you know, I sort of have, my mind is sort of being pulled in one direction, which is as I get older, I'm surprised uh, to see myself, at least compared to the younger generation, being sort of evaluated as being more or right of where they stand in terms of their left position. Again, even though I consider myself a leftist and, and relatively progressive, I feel myself being sort of, uh, uh, by default, categorized, categorized as being uh, a, conser a, a comparatively conservative thinker. Um, and maybe some of that happens with age generally, but being around younger people, it just gives me, even though there's plenty to be critical of, I think having to have spend time with younger people gives me just a bigger appreciation of what their lives are like and what they're going through. And, you know, although I wasn't raised, you know, in a generation that didn't have a telephone and, and uh, you know, uh, transportation was a horse and buggy, I do think that it's, you know, it was, it's, it's very, imp it made a strong impression on me to realize you know, although we're all affected by social media, to be to to really see what growing up in a world of social media has has, you know, how that has formed and shaped the psyche and the self conception and the social capacity uh, of young people is very interesting. I mean, when I was college age, I probably did have a cell phone. But I remember like getting my first pager, which must just sound like a dark ages technology to younger people. But even then, the cell phone was not the smartphone. You know, I didn't get my first smartphone until I was like in my early 20s. And uh, I mean, even then, I felt my life, the, the sort of uh, ecosystem of your life changes like very rapidly. I remember I was dating a girl who had an iPhone, I, I presumably one of the first ones. And I just had like my old... Nokia. I was able to like do fundamental texting or whatever, but there's no internet. The pictures are dog shit. Um, just kind of a crap phone generally. And uh, was eventually evangelized to, I don't know if my, I don't think my first smartphone was an iPhone. I think it was like a Samsung or something like that. 
but you just feel the ecosystem of your life change when you do that. And uh, why am I talking about that? Maybe just to say, you know, although uh, I'm exposed to that technology and I think I understand it, I also was introduced to it at a late age. I, I really have, I mean, one thing that I always say too is it's like, when I was a kid, first of all, there's one thing that just jumped into my mind is like, we had like a school directory. You know, it wasn't like you went through the halls and got everyone's number into your cell phone. There was literally a school directory that everybody was issued that had, you know, uh, some people would object or, or recuse themselves from being included in it. But for the most part, it was this directory you were given like the phone book, which also must sound laughable to people, that had everyone's name and phone number. And that was how you called people. And when you did, it was on a landline. And who knew who was going to answer the phone when you called? And, you know, all sorts of weird things that, um, you know, uh, uh, young people probably wouldn't appreciate in terms of landlines and all that sort of shit. But the thing was, it's like when this, uh, and, and I guess this is a little, I would qualify this a little bit because we did have things like AOL Instant Messenger and chat rooms. And, and certainly this was the be the beginning of people sort of starting this sort of constant communication or, or connection, uh, but but very different than social media and Instagram and all that sort of stuff. But basically when the school day ended, the school day ended. And you like didn't see these people for the rest of the day. Or like when the winter break happened, you didn't, I mean, you may have had one or two friends that you stayed in touch with, but you didn't see these people ever, you know, or especially for the summer. It would almost be like, you know, I mean, people would, like, the summer would happen, the semester would end, people would go home and come back entirely different people. It was crazy. People would gain weight, people would lose weight, people would change their entire style. Maybe they were a prep the year before, but now they're in eighth grade and they're going to be goth or something like that. And, um, you know, the constant contact that young people have with each other, the the, the incessant feeling of accountability is always there. And even being on the crisis lines, it sounds sort of uh, like a soundbite to say it, but the amount of online bullying that happens is just relentless. And, um, you know, it's just sort of put young people in a very difficult situation. Anyway, I feel like I'm sort of talking outside what I really know and understand. But, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. This is just a long bloviating way of saying that I graduated and that's a good thing. And... Um, yeah. So gratitude. I think gratitude was a word I was uh, talking about before. But yeah, I just, I, I feel very lucky that, um, you know, I finished this one chapter of my life and I feel grateful that I have some downtime that I can choose to spend how I want and that I have the means and the resources to uh, return to Taiwan. And, uh, and I'm just going to do that and I'm going to chill and I uh, feel very fortunate that uh, I'm only going to be applying to one grad school. And, you know, we'll, we can revisit this conversation when I'm disappointed that I didn't get in. <laughs> and then now that I really don't know what I'm going to do. But I, I, I feel pretty, pretty confident that I'm a competitive applicant. And. Uh, but, yeah, maybe I just feel like uh, I, you know, I finished one chapter of my life and I finished very well. And I, you know, if you had asked me in my early twenties, I, I would have said, oh, I have no intentions of returning to school. Hell, if you asked me in my early thirties, I would have said I had no intention of returning to my education, but I'm glad that I did. And in a way it's kind of, you know, maybe one of the ways I feel grateful is that in a way I've kind of gotten to do it all, you know? I mean, I know so many people who, when I first started playing music in Arizona, 
at least for me, for, you know, um, my sense was that they never really tried, for lack of a better word. And, you know, I, and in a way, I think our, our trajectories have been kind of reversed because through the advent of social media, I've seen some of the people that I first started playing music with kind of return to music in their adult life, which I, I hope is very fulfilling for them. But it, it communicates to me on some level there was this sense that there was, you know, ah, oh, what could have happened if I had just sort of stuck with this? And, you know, I just feel, and there's a lot of circumstances that allowed me to do this. I mean, um, that oh, it's just not possible for other people. But the fact that, you know, even though it didn't work out ultimately, that I did give a decade to my life, more really, I mean, 12, 13, I don't know, I'd have to do the math, maybe 14 years of, you know, trying to do music for a living and uh, seeing what that experience would bring me. And, you know, it took me to places I just never could have imagined and anticipated and, uh, you know, just showed me, you know, a whole different way of living. I mean, the things, it's funny, it's the things that you just don't really think about that somehow become the, you know, the tentpole memories of that time period are like, you know, I remember the very first, I, don't, I actually don't remember the first time I was on stage after that. Oh, actually, I do, actually. I was going to say, I don't remember the first time I was on stage, but uh, I do remember playing, I hadn't like sung or performed in front of anybody for a number of years and sort of forced myself uh, to go to this open mic at a place formerly called Beckett's. I think it was called Beckett's at the time. It may have been called something else, but it was like a, had been a longstanding Irish bar in Berkeley that had a, I think it was a Wednesday open mic and I lived around the corner and I sort of got myself, I steeled my courage and sort of went there and sang a song of mine. I, I believe I sang a song called Crooked Books. Sorry, I have to get some water. And I remember, I don't remember if it was like a sign up process or I can't remember how I got my name on the list, but I knew my time was coming up and I remember kind of standing off to the side of the stage in this like little stairwell area with this other young woman who was uh, performing ostensibly. And just like, literally, I was like nervous, shaking. And, you know, uh, I remember her, her kind of checking in with me, just kind of asking me my name and what I was going to do. And I remember I just really couldn't even tolerate talking to her. Uh, not that she was unpleasant. I just like couldn't, you know, I was just so distracted. I was just driven to distraction, literally. And uh, I remember I went up and did my thing and I think I did well enough. And, you know, she had some really nice things to say, but I just like couldn't, couldn't hang out. I literally threw my guitar in my bag, said thank you and like left. I did not hang out for the rest of the night. And then I think it was probably a number of months or weeks or something before I mustered the nerve to go to, there's another Irish bar that had a very great open mic called the Starry Plow. And another very famous venue in Berkeley that uh, has a open mic as often as they can called Freight and Salvage. Um, so that period I really remember, but what I re I mean, the thing that I really remember though, is this, you know, playing open mics, it was like, I would start getting nervous. If the open mic started at eight and who knows when you actually hit the stage, you know, maybe, uh, you'll be on at like 1am or something like that. But I remember knowing there was an open mic in the evening, starting to get nervous around noon. Like I would be at my day job at the restaurant and starting to think about it. And the most difficult part of that time period was because I knew I got off at like four or five or something like that. 
and you've already put in a day of work, right? Like most people get home and that's when they kick up their feet, cook dinner, maybe smoke the joint or start having the beer or whatever it is. And you would actually have to tolerate, you know, the period, whether it was, you know, I think maybe I got off, I may have gotten off at like three or something like that. But the point is, is I had to tolerate that period between the time you got off work when you would normally get to relax and needing to clock on again at eight o'clock and not talking myself out of it. And I wasn't always successful, but needing to talk myself out of it. And just, you know, I would have these experiences that as you, as I went through my sort of creative thing, I would have this over and over again, but especially in the beginning, like I would have these moments where I would be like packing my guitar and I would be standing in my apartment and I would be very like present and mindful of this thought of like, okay, I'm about to step out my front door to do this thing that terrifies me. And I have no idea how it's going to go, but I am anticipating the time where I will return to this apartment. You know, I will literally walk back in the door with this experience behind me. And that is going to be something that I will be, you know, proud about. And so as scared as I am, as much as I don't want to do it, as much as I want to throw my guitar back down and just drink a beer and watch a movie or something like that to spare myself the embarrassment or the fear of doing this thing that terrifies me, I am going to force myself to do it. I'm just going to put one foot in front of the other, force myself to do it so I can have that experience where I walk back in the apartment, you know? And just as I sort of went through things that I just remember having that experience over and over again, but, you know, on the cusp of a, of a new venture. So like at first it was open mics and then it became like booking and playing shows and that sort of thing. Um, and the one that really sticks in my mind for some reason, maybe just because it was such a exceptional experience is, I don't know that I've ever talked about this really, but I was actually invited to audition for The Voice. And so, uh, you know, I, I honestly don't know how the whole process goes. I've only heard about it anecdotally. But for the most part, I think they do like these sort of group auditions at hotels and um, something like that. But I was, you know, but what they also do is they have, producers from the show and they're usually probably just like teenage interns or people that they don't pay or whatever who like scour the internet and just look for people who are moderately talented that they can you know that they just invite to audition for the show and so basically that's what happened to me I was approached to audition and so I sent in uh, I had to record a video and then got the formal invitation and they basically slot you in in like round two or three of the auditions. So maybe there's, I guess what I heard anecdotally when I when I sort of showed up for that experience in Los Angeles and Burbank, they, you know, I was around some other people. I mean, it's not a ton of people. It's not these huge cattle call things. I, by that point, they've gotten rid of a lot of people. Not that they're not, you know, not that you're anywhere near the actual show. I just mean, you know. It's almost like, have you seen uh, uh, Squid Game? <laughs> like you you watch Squid Game and it like starts with like 400 people. But after the first game, there's like 200 people. You know what I mean? Like most of the people die in the first in the first round. Spoiler alert. I'm saying that that is my sense of what the voice is. And so I show up basically to this like studio in Burbank. And I, well, I should, well, this is the point I'm really trying to make is, is that I rented an Airbnb in Burbank. And I think I could literally walk to it from the airport. And I could also literally walk from the Airbnb I was staying at to the Burbank Studios uh, where the auditions were being held. And I remember standing in that apartment like 
I'm going to walk to this thing and I have no idea what the fuck is going to happen. And then at some time, some point tonight, it could be an hour, it could be four hours, five hours, I have no idea what I'm about to do. I'm going to walk back into this fucking Airbnb with this experience behind me. And that is going to be something to look forward to or something like that. And I'll just say very quickly, I mean, it was kind of a weird experience because you sort of show up and then there's like people who maybe like recognize each other from the previous round. I don't know anybody. And they send you in like batches of six or something to this to this sound stage, And you have like, f- you know, you and five other strangers. You're all just kind of small talking or whatever outside of this big soundstage door. And I, I don't know if you can picture that. But you just know that behind this huge double black door is like a soundstage where they might even build a set to shoot a movie or something like that. But you can hear the person auditioning because I'm pretty sure it's amplified. But you just kind of wait your turn. And I forget what it is, but I think you prepare like two or three songs. Like if you're an instrumentalist like me and you have a guitar, you prepare maybe two or three songs with the guitar. And then they ask you to prepare one a cappella. Or maybe an in, to a pre-recorded instrumental thing. I I can't I honestly can't remember how it went. But when it's your turn, you basically get called in, and the first thing you're sort of taken back by is the enormity of the space. It's just this absolutely huge soundstage, and it's all very dark. And there's just like a single spotlight where you see that you're going to be standing. And there's a couple like producers or executives, like maybe three or four of them at this table in the dark. And there's a couple cameras that have a couple operators, and they're sort of pointed at you. But you also have a like there's another camera that's pointed at you where there's there's executives or producers who are watching your audition remotely. And so I at some point you have to address them. I don't remember what they ask you to do. But um, I remember the instruction that they gave me was to like sing into the camera with your eyes open. And uh, the audition went like OK for the most part. I've talked about this thing about nerves and it's interesting I'm thinking about this because this is what, you know, your first open mics are like this especially. Whereas like when you're watching a role, like sometimes people ask what your experience is like on stage. Well, when you're in your element, when you're in the pocket, when you're in the groove, you could literally be thinking about laundry and also be, you know, performing exceptionally well. But there's this other experience where performing is a bit like being on a roller coaster. And what I mean by that is I don't just mean like the ups and downs and the turns, but it, there's a very there's a there's a difference between when you look at a roller coaster it looks very smooth but when you're in the roller coaster the thing that you of course there's up and down and there's speed and all that sort of stuff but the thing that you can't really communicate about the experience of riding a roller coaster is the rattle because of course of course if you're on like an old and wooden roller coaster there's more shake but even on like a metal roller coaster there's just a certain amount of your head just like constantly being rattled and paint canned around. And, um, you know, it's just not a smooth ride. Do you know what I mean? Like, even though it looks smooth, there's a, there's a, there's another, there's a turbulence on top of the up and down and the loop to loop. There's just a general like turbulence to the experience and performing can be that way. And as long as you stay in a band of turbulence, and I'm talking about your subjective internal turbulence, you're okay. But especially when you first hit the stage and you're adjusting to the lights and the audience watching you, and especially that first moment where you breathe in and sing into the microphone, and even if you had a sound check, it's really that first moment of hearing your voice come back to you through the monitors or the PA, hearing how you sound in the room. 
it's just, there's just a lot of unknowns and it's like jumping into a body of water or something like that. It's that first at you're acclimating to the temperature of that experience. That's all part of the turbulence. And sometimes there's a moment where you're realizing, you know, you're just hyper-conscious of yourself. Maybe the sound is not coming back the way you want and you're trying to adjust. And there's, there's just a lot of things that you're trying to dial in very quickly where you feel like, oh, this could go off the fucking rails right now. It's the type of thing that, like in the movies when they portray this, it's always someone who is giving a speech and you can sense that their mouth is starting to dry out and they start stuttering over their words a little bit and then the camera cuts to the audience and it's you know the camera does a little bit of in and out focusing and you feel the bright lights and then they have a couple beads of sweat coming down their forehead and then they always do that thing where the microphone feeds back a little bit you know to sort of uh you know make make it uh drive drive the point home that things are not going very well uh and then the person usually sometimes they say oh, oh I'm sorry I can't and they like walk off stage it's that type of moment where the person's facing the fear of this is the t exactly the uh, quality of turbulence I didn't want to experience, and now that it's happening, I don't feel like I can get through this, and I'm just going to have to abort mission. I'm going to have to the ejector button on the seat, right? And you have to pull it together very quickly. Now, I remember I was like starting to do the audition, and it was going very well, and I was singing my songs, and I was well-prepared, and I could tell that they were enjoying it you know they had nice things to say after each song and then there was a moment where I had to do this acapella thing and I already felt naked because I normally sing and play with a guitar I didn't know what to fucking do with my body now if I was smart I would have just gotten into it and whether I danced or whatever I just would have just committed to it but I I did exactly the type of thing that you don't want to do in an in, in any type of situation which is just kind of capitulate and kind of um I don't know you kind of curl up into yourself and you just try to like grin and bear it and I was just kind of standing there awkwardly knowing that I look stupid and I think I closed my eyes at one point and when I open them I see one of the producers like waving me down and I sort of stop and I go because I thought they were telling me to like stop singing and she was she gave me this instruction like oh will you uh, open your eyes or something like that and so I start singing again with my eyes open, and it was just not good. It was just awful. I just sort of fell apart in that last thing. And it was so weird because when I finished, I, for, I forget how, but it was very natural or conversationally for me to say, oh, yeah, yeah, when I opened my eyes, it just was less comfortable for me. And she said something like, oh, yeah, we, yeah, we enjoyed it less as well or something like that. She gave me some type of feedback that like confirmed, oh, yeah, when you opened your eyes, yeah, you weren't as good. And I was like, all right, I'm not really sure what to do with that. But for better or worse, I moved on to the next round of the audition, which basically just meant they pulled me into another room and I did this kind of filmed interview. I mean, some people just went home. You know, I saw some people walk out of that room and they just like walked out the door. Um, I think of the six people that I was with or something, I think I was the only one who went and uh, got this sort of video done. They sort of pull you into a back room and you sit there with an intern, again, who's probably done hundreds of these and couldn't care less about you asking you questions about who you are. And I think they just want to get a sense of like what you're like conversationally and on camera. Never heard anything after that. I mean, it, 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 you know, I left there knowing that that was an experience, but one, I have, you know, I didn't enjoy it. I would not look forward to doing more of this. And uh, also pretty clear that, um, yeah, I, I would just, I would have been flabbergasted if I heard back from them to do anything else. Um, 
So, what are we talking about? Yeah, wow, isn't that a weird way to get in? Really what I began with was talking about that experience of like being in the hotel room or being in that Airbnb. And yeah, just that experience of like, I'm gathering my things, I'm walking out the door, I have no idea what I'm about to encounter or what it will be like. But the one thing I do know is unless I get hit by a commuter train on the way home, I will be walking back into this Airbnb and I will be standing in the exact same space with that experience behind me. And that will be something to look forward to. And that's basically just what my life has been in a lot of ways. And actually, from that experience, I remember just going back to the hotel, or sorry, to that Airbnb that I was staying at. And it was like this in-law, it was like a guest house or something, you know, a sort of detached unit in somebody's home. And I remember laying in bed reading, reading Faust. I was reading Goethe's Faust. And, uh, yeah, I just remember that just kind of, you know, I was in, I was there for one day. I literally flew in one day, spent the night, flew out the next morning. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, anyway, so the point I'm trying to make though is, I mean, I, I had that experience like when I flew to Taiwan, well, one, when I went to Middlebury the summer before last, you know, leaving my apartment going, all right, I'm about to go to this immersion program in Vermont, which I've, where I've never been, to only speak Chinese for two months. And when I come back, you know, this will be my apartment. And I felt the exact same way when I went to Taipei, which I was terrified of. I mean, I, I didn't know if I was going to love or hate it. But like, you know, getting your bags and going, oh, wow, I'm about to be gone for two months and I'm going to walk back into this apartment with that experience behind me and I'll I'll be a different person in some sense. And um you know, I'm about to have that with uh, um, going to Taipei this time for three and a half months, an even longer period. But in a much bigger way, I'm sure when we revisit this conversation, uh, when I'm, you know, assuming all goes well, you know, um, uh, when I'm packing up this apartment and like heading off to graduate school in China, and then it, that'll be even weirder because not only will I be stepping out of this chapter of my life and this place. Uh, then I'm sort of committing to a process where I actually don't know where I'll end up at the end of that. Um, and, uh, again, just having to trust that process, but, uh, but that's where I'm at. I mean, you may be listening to this and saying, well, duh, dude, that's what life is. And I've done that a thousand times. And, uh, I guess in a way I'm saying I've done it too, but, uh, I'm not trying to impress you with the uniqueness of my experience. I'm actually hoping that you relate to it and you, you know, it may not be the same thing, whether it's the open mic or traveling or whatnot, but that you have, you know, the thing in your life. Uh, yeah, that you that you have some equivalent, you know, uh, that you know exactly what I'm talking about. That moment of standing in there and being like, okay, I'm about to step out my front door and yet I'm returning to the same place afterwards with the experience behind me and that will be an accomplishment. I mean, in a way, it's kind of like, what is it? The Hobbit, the subtitle is like there and back again. And that's, that's just, that's the, you know, the hero's journey over and over again. <clears throat> I've actually been, I, well, I mean, I don't know, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I started reading The Lord of the Rings, and uh, there's a couple of things. I, I've had trouble sort of starting and finishing books lately, which is, I, I sort of told myself I was going to read every encyclopedic novel, which I'm sure we've talked about, so I won't bore you with it, but... I read The Divine Comedy, and I read, like, uh, which I had already read, like, once or twice when I was younger... But at this point, I'm like, uh, as of like uh, the beginning of last semester, or maybe the beginning of the summer, I was like two thirds of the way through the last part, Paradiso, or Heaven, or Paradise, or what do you want to call it. 
and I haven't been able to finish it. I'm looking at it here on my left. And then I started reading this biography, this sort of tome-length biography of Huey Long, which I got like a couple chapters into and haven't looked at. So I told myself I was going to read Lord of the Rings. And why did I, I don't even, can't even remember why that sort of got on my radar. But on my right-hand side here, I'm looking and I have a copy of Fellowship of the Ring, which I'm, uh, you know, a couple chapters left in. But I have the rest of the trilogy to look forward to. Um, but yeah. I don't know. What else is on my mind? I guess the other thing I was talking, I did laundry this morning. Well, I guess one thing I, I, I sort of was, I, I had sort of anticipated that I was going to talk about the, the gratitude and all that sort of stuff. I don't know how it really figures into gratitude, but one thing I've just been like spending my days doing is just attending to the tasks that need to get done each day. You know, I was talking last time about all of a sudden it dawns on me, oh, I'm in the shower. Oh, I need to do X and I just execute, you know, I just, even though it's like, you know, the early evening or something, I go, oh, I have to take care of that. And I just sort of do it. And it's the same thing day to day here, whether it's, oh, all of a sudden I got some feedback and I need to rewrite this personal statement. Or all of a sudden I need to, uh, I realize I have to get this medical form filled out. Well, I got to schedule the Kaiser appointment or I have to go to the Kaiser appointment. Or, you know, when they finally had the paperwork done for me and this is over the over last week, I sort of show up and of course I come in when the office is closed for lunch so I have to wait 45 minutes and get the thing and, and then I go home. But it's like just ticking things off the box and dealing with things as they come. And it sounds like a small thing but it's actually been very fulfilling and I've enjoyed that that's kind of been what my life is. Like yesterday I sort of woke up and the first thing I did, you know, I have these lights by my bed but I just turn on the light over my kitchen and there's just like this flash, right? And two separate lights, like in two different parts of my living area, just sort of blue. I don't know what that was about. But it was like, oh, I need to go to Home Depot and get some bulbs. Oh, and while I'm there, I'll get some needle nose pliers. And I got something else. I can't remember what it is. But it was like, oh, that's just, I wasn't anticipating that. It feels like a bummer right now, but that's something I have to do. And so I just have the time to like take care of that. And that sounds like small stuff, but... Um, you know, I don't know. It's just been, you know, fulfilling to kind of live that way and uh, to be able to do that. And I feel silly saying it, but the point is, is I, I think the, the whole thing about gratitude is I just feel very lucky that I've gotten to do it all in my life so far. You know, I ha I was able to, you know, I know what it's like to be a shitty student, but I also know what it's like to like pursue your dreams for quite a bit of time. And I know what it's like to look up and decide that that's not really taking you where you want to go and having to retool. And, uh, you know, I got the undergraduate experience and I did very well. You know, I went to the number one public school in the country and got great grades and uh, had a lot of other honors. You know, I, I was able to go to Middlebury Language School and study Chinese and I was awarded a scholarship to study Chinese in Taipei. And, you know, and I'm choosing to go back there and enjoy my time for three and a half months. And, uh, you know, practice some more Mandarin, but also just spend time in a place that I, you know, would never have gone to otherwise. But for, you know, I mean, originally <clears throat> I had chosen comparative literature as my major, but they're like, oh, you have to read a foreign language. And I was like, oh shit. So needing to learn Chinese. And I remember, I literally remember like years before that being in therapy, when I was adamant, I would never return to my education. Even then I knew my primary interest if I would return to school, it would be like Chinese philosophy. 
But I remember announcing to my therapist, like, but that's never going to happen. I mean, I'm, ne- you know, I'm never going to learn Chinese. There's just no way. And I sort of knew that. I just sort of knew that about myself. And then lo and behold, like a couple years later, you know, oh, it doesn't sound like such a bad idea. And honestly, it was my, you know, I sort of bitch and complain. I talk about, oh, I don't know why I spent two years at a junior college. Well, one of the things was that I had horrible advisors and I ended up taking an additional semester of chemistry I didn't fucking need. I took a semester of calculus that I didn't fucking need and uh, got a A in both of those classes. And I bet, but for those experiences, I, I may not have taken Chinese, meaning I, you know, one of the things I had always told myself growing up is like, oh, I'm an arts person. I'm a uh, literature person, which I am. I'm not a math person. Was one of the things that I sort of had in my mind, and I'm 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 not a math person, that's for sure. But it was like taking those like chemistry and calculus, and like still getting in. Not that I can't pretend to really understand those things, but to know that I can be a good enough student, right? I can sort of gamify the system um, to do well enough in the class to get an A. And so, but for those experiences, I probably would never have learned. Chinese you know it was only on the heels of like having done fairly well in those classes that I was like well I mean I guess if I could do calculus and whatever I I, maybe I could learn Chinese like maybe I'm just telling myself that it's impossible now flash forward to the present where you know I, I really take inventory sometimes and I think you know in terms of the calendar it's been a little over two years since I started learning Chinese but I've had like five years of input I've had four, you know, uh, formal semesters of man, modern Mandarin. I've had uh, two two-month immersion experiences plus a year of classical Chinese. And so I've had like five years of input and I go, I still, pre- I, I still feel like pretty fundamental. I definitely don't feel like my Chinese is where it should be given the input that I've had. I mean, I'm about to go to this, uh, you know, about to go to this... Uh, Uh, Mandarin program in Taiwan, and uh, I've sort of downloaded the textbooks that they use um, uh, to just kind of see where they're at. And I'm I'm still feeling like I have no idea where I'm going to get placed. You know, like I should be like, based on where the classes I've taken, I should be hyper advanced, but I'm really, I'm really not, you know. I had this sort of, it's called an OPI examination, oral proficiency interview, I think, at the end of my time in Taipei. And even though the grade I got at the end of that was intermediate advanced, I definitely don't feel like that is where I sit at generally. So, I mean, especially this semester, I, I've, you know, I was kind of keeping things up for a while. I had a couple language partners, but um, I really haven't kept my language study up. So we'll see where things fall. You know, one of the things I had actually hoped to talk about, and I'm saying we probably won't have enough time to get into it really, is uh, I think I was just starting to get into this when I was talking about doing laundry. But I, I spoke with my brother earlier today, and one of the things that he mentioned, which everybody seems to be watching recently, is this Cat Williams interview that he did on the um, some podcast where he sort of takes Hollywood to task and sort of calls out all these other people. And uh, just something I've been thinking, thinking about recently and my brother and I were kind of breaking it down too because at least from my perspective I'm not going to speak for my brother but for me it was one of these interesting things because the response that people have had to it seems to 
communicates so much about where we're at in the world, which is you have a contingency of people who are just like, yeah, Cat Williams speaking truth to power, calling people out, saying how it actually is. And actually, I have to admit, I was going to say that there's there's some sort of contrary voice to that. I actually haven't heard a lot of that. I haven't heard a lot of criticism. I mean, I've, I've seen some videos where, at least from the headline, purport that the people that get called out are going are responding to Cat Williams' criticisms or something like that. But I actually haven't heard a contingency of people who have a lot of critical things to say about it. But that's confounding to me because I watched the entire interview, or most of it, I should say. I think it's about, it's probably almost two and a half, maybe even three hours. There was a couple points where I had to like click the fast forward, you know, the five second fast forward button to, you know, not, you know, maybe five minutes at a time to just get through. Because he, it's a very tedious fucking conversation. I mean, Cat Williams' presentation is very annoying. And you just think if I had to spend more than, I mean, the real hero of that interview is the interviewer. I forget his name. He's some famous football player. But he did a great job of getting Cat Williams to just like keep talking, but also make some kind of thoughtful uh, objections. I can't quite I can't quite put it into words, but I mean that was just really exceptional. Like that was a brilliant moment where a lot of interviewers would have tried to get in there. But it was like he seemed to understand. I just need to get the fuck out of the way. And it was so funny because the, I mean the it, it was interesting because Cat Williams had a lot of like interesting things to say, which I think you know a lot of people need to think about in terms of Hollywood and stuff. But some of the stuff he says just can't be true. Like he talks about he and Ludacris being invited into this like cabalistic Illuminati type meeting where they were basically offered. You know, I think it was him and Ludacris, and he, you know, they make this claim like uh, Ludacris was offered like $200 million for 10 movies. And it was just like, no, it doesn't fucking work that way. Like, that's not how movies are made. You know what I mean? And the other person was Cat Williams. And so Cat Williams just kind of went off and did his thing. And it's just very fucking silly. But the thing that, in a way, that where you realize that he's not all wrong, which is he says multiple times in the interview, He's like, oh, this is going to be the biggest episode. And in a way, it's kind of Trumpian when he says that, right? But he's like, this is going to be the biggest episode you ever do. And he's absolutely fucking right. It's absolutely bizarre because like a week ago, Cat Williams was on nobody's fucking radar. And then he just does this interview where he fucking like shoots fireballs. And it's like, when at least when I watched it, the video already had like 45, 50 million views or something like that. And I'm sure it's just going up and up and up. But fucking crazy, man. Yeah, I again, we don't have a lot of time. We got to sort of wrap it up here in a second, but the yeah, I've just I've been thinking about that video and thinking about people's evangelism about it. What is it about this video that speaks to people? And uh, whether it's right or wrong, and I think there's a lot of shit, I think there's a lot he says in there that's fucking nuts, but it's 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 in a way it's kind of related to this thing that I noticed with Jim Carrey, which is like right as the sort of woke thing was becoming a thing, Jim Carrey had sort of like reinvented or reintroduced himself as this like sage-like enlightened character where to me, I mean, this I don't pretend to know anything that's going on in Jim Carrey's life really. I mean, I think he may have had like a ex, like a girlfriend die or something. So he has some tragedy that was happening concurrent in his life, but his entire presentation to me communicated that like he was not well that although the words he was saying were fine and commendable and and sound good to some people that on there was on a on a on a on a deep level there was something like not right with him you know um 
that what we were witnessing was actually like a response to to trauma or I don't know what it was, but something like that. It was it was disturbing. There, I would see him speak and talk, and my skin would crawl. And there's something like that with Cat Williams too, where I go, well, a broken clock is right twice a day, and Cat Williams is saying a lot of things that I think are are very intelligent and and thoughtful and poignant, and yet his overarching presentation communicates to me that something is wrong with him. Like he's a megalomaniacal narcissist. Uh, and he, there's something just very dangerous about celebrating that. And the reason I'm confused is because Kanye West is like the exact same thing. Like he's not well, you know what I mean? And yet people sort of criticize him. And I just, it makes me think like, what is the big difference between Cat Williams and Kanye West where Cat Williams can go on this podcast and bloviate and take shots at people and just sort of speak like, you know, kind of ridiculously about the world and and Hollywood and how they operate and all that sort of stuff. And people love it. And yet Kanye West sort of goes off on a tangent and people excoriate him. Now, as I'm saying this, I feel like I need to qualify it and say, I'm fully aware that Kanye West has said horribly like anti-Semitic things and is pro-Trump, but I'm, I'm partitioning that conveniently. See how I do that? I'm partitioning that because that was actually latter. I'm talking about before that. I mean, when he first started talking about, I mean, in a way, his sort of like Trumpian, you know, uh, I don't know if it's Farrakhan, uh, uh, instantiated sort of anti-Semitism or something like that. A lot of that was him just sort of digging deeper into the public response to his sort of initial sort of criticisms or something like that. I think that was him like saying, taking that ball and running with it. But it's like, why can even the sort of uh, mundane uh, megalomaniacalism or narcissism of Kanye West gets him crucified, whereas Cat Williams, who to me has a very disturbing presentation on this podcast, even though he says some very interesting and thoughtful things, why is he sort of held up as this like folk hero? And uh, I don't know, not something we have enough time to get into or maybe even that I really care about, but uh, something I've been thinking about nonetheless. Um, But be that as it may, we've run our course here. And so let's uh, leave some time for ourselves this evening to enjoy things, take things as they come. And uh, I'm very grateful for where my life is today. And I hope that you have some opportunities and, uh, you know, I don't know, to feel grateful about where you're at. And um, thank you for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thank you for your time. And ciao for now. Ciao for now.